so we are episode 42 this is badass records podcast um hanging with kadesh flow how's it going it's going great how are you good good thank you um so tell me again the name of the band you're going to catch at the ship tonight sunu sunu they're uh based out of lawrence kansas okay um and they they're uh do a lot of afro-cuban afro beat inspired music cool it's also really funky banging horn section nice auxiliary percussion what Goes is wild. what's auxiliary percussion uh, as far as just like you know congas um cool that whole okay get up um like a lot of South American and African nice. drumming. And the, uh, the primary songwriter from the band, uh, Dylan, I think his last name is Bassett. Dylan Bassett, I think. Okay. Um, he studied heavily in South America and Africa, like among like um, both tribes and city cultures. Really? Uh, percussion and whatnot. Cool. So he's very well-versed and um, all that good stuff. Nice. Um, so... I met you down at the ship a few months ago. Casey Green, uh, I think was the, it was a Casey Green gig, but then like, were, were you supposed to be part of that gig the whole time? Yeah. Okay. What, but was there was somebody from New York? Else. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember somebody being like there, this the rapper from New York, somebody from New York who just happened to be in town and then got on stage with you guys or. Uh, I think you, are you sure you're not talking about brass and bougie? Was it not positive? A, it, was, okay, it was a Casey Green, yeah, thing, and somebody from New York came in. I thought. I mean, you were like the to me, you were the primary f- front figure, but I thought there was somebody else that got up there and did some stuff. I don't. I don't remember. Okay, well, it's been a minute. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but how do you? I mean, so do you gig with Casey Green every time they gig? Yeah. Okay. Well, I won't say every time because sometimes there I have to miss stuff uh, sure. for. Just things that I have, like as a solo artist and band leader, right. that con- conflict with them, or I'll be out of town. But for the sure. most part, if I'm if I'm available, and they have a gig, I play with them. Nice, I'm definitely the main trombone. Player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. The on- only trombone player, right? Or- yeah. Every so often, um, Brad will have somebody like Trevor Turla sub for me. Okay, Trevor's phenomenal. Sure. But for the most part, if I if I don't do the gig, they don't have a trombone player. Right. Um, and his other outfit's name is escaping me right now trevor's no uh, brad's brad's other outfit tiki, is tiki, tiki brawlers. brawlers yes uh do you ever yeah i'm also the trombonist for that okay cool yeah. very nice uh so with those two and then you have uh, solo stuff that you yeah. live performances uh, stuff available right how, how many how much gigging do you do solo oh most of it is I won't say solo, but me as a band leader. Most of my gigging is me as a band leader, okay. which is what I what I wanted to build towards. When I I used to be in fintech and music was a side thing, and I wanted it to be a main thing, but I didn't want to just be a trombone sideman. Sure, I didn't leave a financial tech trajectory <laughs> to you know right. be a you know I I left to be an artist. Yeah. And, and you know, to travel the world, and yeah. eventually haven't quite gotten there yet. Sell out theaters, you know. Sure. I've sold out a couple things, but nice. theaters. Uh, so, are you are you on planes a lot? Are you on the road? Is it yeah. a mix? Okay. Yeah, it's a mix. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm gigging on average probably two or three times a week. Okay, and nice. most of that is projects I lead or co lead. Cool. So, um, as Kadesh Flow, I. Um, 
You know, as you know, I play in Casey Green. I play mm-hmm. in Tiki Brawlers. Tiki Brawlers hasn't been quite as active, nearly as active, really. Um, well, uh, Buck- Buckner did, uh, where did he do? He did a episode, I mean, 20-plus episodes ago, and uh, I don't think, well, I mean, and, and that would have been near around the time that I saw you, mm-hmm. saw that show, and I don't know that they've had a gig since. If they no. have, I haven't seen it. We haven't. Okay, okay. Sorry, I keep saying they, you guys. Um, so your stuff, um, Bandcamp, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, Instagram, TikTok, all of TikTok. It. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, all the streaming platforms, Cool. you know, iTunes, Apple music, Google play. Well, I, you know, this Kadesh flow stuff I do is solo rapper. I have a group. This is an extension of myself called the Dash Tet. Not nice. any assortment of people, but you know, I just did the first Dash Tet duo set last night, literally ever. Where? At the pairing, Casey. Uh, Where's that? Uh, wine and liquor store on the crossroads. They have a bar in the back. Okay. Okay. And they do live music. Really cool room. Great sound. It sounds cool. Um, did a duo set just me and Vincent Orsolini on piano. Okay. Playing trombone and rapping. So duo, trio, quartet, quintet, sextet. I've done all of those. Nice. Under my my name, I co-front Brass and Bougie, which is an 18-piece big band led by Marcus Lewis, who was Janelle Monae's trombone player, and before that was with the Ohio Players, and he's played with Prince and, Mar- and Bruno Mars and wow. Franklin and all these people. Um, so I co-front that with Kemet Coleman as rappers fronting a big band, which okay. is... Uh, a concept that didn't really happen consistently anywhere before we started doing it. And uh, I also play trombone in the Fantastics, which Kim at Coleman fronts. Do you um, have a person to help you keep track of all this stuff? <laughs> no, I need one. I need one. I'm almost at the point where I can afford to hire an assistant. Really? I'm not quite there yet. Okay. Uh, I, have some, I have some financial things I need to take care sure. of before I do that, I should say. Um, I co-front Deshika Rage, which is a co- uh, joint joint project with Jessica Page, who's a phenomenal singer-songwriter, okay. and myself, we share a band, and I co-front Splat with two Ts, Dang. which is a, a duo of Trevor Turla and myself, double trombone-fronted oh, cool. band, and it's crazy. But on this 18-piece thing, like, how, if you're the the go-to person for that, I mean, how do you, how do you get 18 people to show and have their stuff together and all you know what i'm saying marcus is the leader of that okay so okay. marcus does all the cat hurting there we help sometimes kevin cat and i help hurting. with certain things <laughs> but it's a lot I, you know I that's mean, it's a it's a lot and sometimes like we just did a halloween party at crane brewing brass and bougie nice uh, <laughs> and, and we had a whole like all hands on deck situation because we were having trouble finding a drummer because your regular drummer wasn't available, or I think he, I think he committed and then realized he couldn't do it. Okay, and that's a horrible weekend for that to happen because it was Halloween weekend. Yeah, that's like one of the busiest weekends for a gigging musician. <laughs> so um, it can be crazy sometimes, but fortunately, Marcus does most of the legwork on that. Okay, <laughs> so for all of these uh, streaming and social media platforms, are you running them yourself? Uh. Or co-running them. Okay. Yeah. So Brass and Bougie comes on the Marcus. So if you you would find it, find that our stuff under the Marcus Lewis Big Band okay. and his socials. Even right. though we all we all share things and whatnot. Fantastics is Kemet. Kemet runs Fantastics. Okay. 
Everything else I either run or co-run. Deshka Rage is Jessica and I tag teaming. Splat is Trevor and I tag teaming. All the Kadesh Flow stuff and Desh Tet stuff is me. And do you have one of those uh, platforms where if you like post on one, it puts it on all of them? I used to, but um, it's more effective to have things personalized. Totally. So I'll have... I have things like what I was saying before we started this conversation on the microphones, like today is a content planning day. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. so it's as much as it would be easier to just post and have something fire off on everything. They're all individual things. So it makes more sense to batch 100%. content and, you know, I'll chop up 30 second clips, but I, I'm literally in the middle of a restructure that I started last week to give myself to allocate more time towards content batching and content planning. So this is a new thing on the calendar, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. I, I did it. I always did it, but it was always something I did between things where really I need to schedule more of my life around that so that I can grow that as much as everything else is growing. Yep. Uh, I thought that get getting folks scheduled uh and doing interviews and then the editing like once i had you know a handle on that i thought that was the whole pie nope because i mean i want to put clips on tiktok i want to you know post make instagram posts tweet etc etc and it's like i was just kind of getting to it and now it's kind of like no i gotta compartmentalize a little bit more and have some consistency just because I, I think that's the right thing to do. I don't know. Yeah, it is. Especially, it's the best thing to do algorithmically if you're trying to grow right. anything. Consist consistency is going to get rewarded, especially on YouTube. YouTube's al- algorithms are brutal, and um, meaning, um, I'm dealing with a thing right now where I'm I'm uploading again and I'm getting way less engagement because I took a seven month break. Oh. And everything's yeah. being pushed down because YouTube thinks that nobody's nobody's interested in my yeah. channel anymore. Yeah, I, I'm. So, where so if we're doing forty, what did I say, forty two, forty two today? I think I'm, I've just started on uh, episode fourteen. As far as, as far, editing, as far as tick, no, 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 uh, uh thirty eight or thirty nine are up. Okay, I'm, I've got a couple banked. Thankfully, sometimes it doesn't work like that, and I'm in a pinch, and I got to turn around and get it out the same week that I record, which makes for a lot of late nights. Um, but no, I'm just working on up to episode 14 as far as uh tiktoks oh yeah and uh at first it was like crickets and i then i i was like oh probably because i just fired up six and then did nothing and then fired up six and then i started doing i saw a thing that was like you should do two to three or five a day and i was like no uh but i'm finding out that if i do a cup you know two or three uh, Tuesday through Thursday, that seems to be the consistent drip that the algorithm, because like, it seems like people kind of check out on the weekends, yeah. at least as, I don't know, but so far that's what I'm seeing. And Monday, it feels like people are slow to get back into yeah. getting their, yep. getting their fix. But what, uh, do you have the same handle on your soul, all your solo plat socials or yeah um it's it's a similar thing i don't uh you're at an advantage because these are really long form things so you can chop up you know you could get you could probably get like 130 second different 30 second clips per episode do you think 30 seconds is a better way to go than like three minutes yes absolutely okay um (laughs) so like especially for instagram and tiktok like right uh like you could do a minute 
or or you could do multiple minutes, but the 30 second thing, it's a good, it's, it's efficient. It's good for attention spans and it gives you more editing. Sadly, good for attention spans. Yeah, sadly. (laughs) Cause the whole, the only reason, you know, I mean, my YouTube view counts are just, I mean, teeny tiny. So if, since that's long form, I thought doing a, a two to three minute, TikToks, you know, would solve that, but it's nope. I, mean, I think you're right. You really got to hit that 30 second wheelhouse too to catch all the attention spans out there. But yeah, it's not and having like a longer one isn't bad. But the, the 30 right. second thing is really good, and having like YouTube is still like the best base to get things from because it's the only platform where long form content is rewarded consistently, where and then you can take that and chop every and chop it up, right? right. Um, but yeah, I. I have all this stuff and all these strategies that I know, and it's just haven't had the bandwidth to do them because I've been performing so much, doing prep, and I record a lot, I write a lot of music, and I'm really, I had a gut check situation um, a couple weeks ago where I have friends who are very successful YouTubers, friends and acquaintances who are very successful YouTubers on like a nerdy hip hop piece, which is what I do, mostly what I do. Okay. Um, And... Some of them know me from because they were listening to me when I was doing it when there were very few people doing it, right? Um, and like, and when I was in college in like 2012, 2013. But then I f- finished my MBA in a corporate America, and I chose to do build a live performance presence over the YouTube thing, and it it just wasn't possible to do both build both those and not get fired right yeah yeah of course (laughs) um but i really really worked on building a national presence and like conventions and whatnot um and some of some of these guys chose really to do youtube and are doing extraordinarily well right now okay and i'm already a successful working musician but i'm i've been i i pivoted back into the content space during the peak pandemic sure um and i had a gut check because i was on Twitter, like publicly irritated that my views were getting pushed down so hard when I have like 10.5 K subscribers. Oh, do you really? Okay. And I, you know, that's not like, you know, and the friends I'm referring to literally have hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Right. right? So one of them come jumped in and he was like, that's because you upload so infrequently, even for like highly successful channels. Um, we'll have something get pushed down because we upload something that it doesn't hit as hit as hard. And then the YouTube will, tank the rest of it our thinks stuff that's just that your stuff is d plus and so yeah put, oh man yeah and this person doesn't does i don't think this person is aware of like of the fact that i was like taking 15 hours of 500 level classes at one point in time and uploading every week uh because but he was like you know you just got to find a way to do it if you're trying to do it and it's not like he doesn't respect what i'm doing he knows what i do um but it was a really uh, that uh, conversation, that interaction among a bunch of other stuff that's happening in the quote unquote anime rap community at the time was really kind of a kick in the pants for me. Um, and I was like, yeah, do I really, what do I really want right now to grow? Cause I've had, uh, this is the most successful year I've had as, a, nice. as an artist. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And I am right at the salary and bonuses I was making in FinTech as a full-time artist. Um, Seriously? Yeah. Good for you. Um, and I don't, but I don't ever want to be, 
I don't want to look back in November of 2023 and be in the exact same place I am now. You, you want to see yeah. constant or consistent, you know? Yeah. Wanna, I just want to grow. You know, I'm cool. hungry. And um, it was a gut check because it really made me sit down and ask what I really wanted and how I want to grow. Um, so then I restructured my life, you know, restructured um, how my time works. Right. Yeah. So with, I don't even know how many things, uh, let's call it 30 things that you have just in your creator artist, you know, writing, recording, live performances, content, etc. I mean, are you uh, able to maintain somewhat consistent bedtime and, and wake time? <laughs> are you all over the place? Or It's so all over the place. I'm working on that too. Um, and I, honestly, the bigger thing with that is, is partying too much in the midst of all the things. Um, that's something I really, last week was the first time I clamped down on that and months well when we were texting and and uh you said you, you recalled our one conversation i think from after that show and saying i, I seem to remember that these can go long and i was like is he sober like how the hell does he remember maybe it was in the text thread but if i thought i was thinking you were just taking that from memory i was like wow yeah, that's was, impressive it was, from, it was from memory yeah. okay so, so clamping down is already showing uh payoff i yeah, guess yeah yeah a little i mean there's a lot that's really good about this week okay and actually um actually the restructure there's some things i'm notes i've taken that i'm gonna improve upon but um you know i don't necessarily have a problem with my lifestyle right now i definitely could drink less um i could eat better um i drink a lot of water um i listen to my body you know i'm in my i'm in my early 30s it's not like you know i'm not super worried about it but from a from like a lifestyle standpoint except that I need more money to invest in my art Yeah, that I, you know, I might be spending on something and I need to be able to wake up with clarity and get more out of myself. Sure. Every day. I, I got to imagine that with all the outfits that you're part of, uh, live perform, all the people that you interact with, uh, you, you've got to see a, a wide range of lifestyles. Like oh yeah. People that you're like, that person might not be around next week to all the way down to, you know, somebody that is sober and healthy eating and exercise. I mean, you see it a, a big span or. Oh yeah. Exactly. Literally. Especially when I was just, when I was first starting out um, in the hip hop scene here and, you know, I'd play with people or, or uh, be on stages with people and they were opening for somebody huge who is, you know, Kansas City's off market and I'd be at venues where people would have good relationships from when they were on the road and get somebody to come to, you know, a smaller venue in Kansas City as compared to a theater or an arena or whatever. Um, and when I was playing uh, really fraternity heavy bars when I was in college in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I saw like so much cocaine. No, I bet. I bet. <laughs> so much. And, um, None of most of the most of the druggy things haven't really ever been of interest to me, you know. Um, but there have definitely been. I've seen some people where I'm like, "Is this dude gonna wake up?" You know, right? Um, where I'm like, just checking pulses and stuff. I'm like, "All right, well, we're still here. I'm gonna, I guess, go grab another drink." And right. Hope you don't leave us. Hang in know? there, buddy. Down to you know people who. 
don't do anything. Right. So yeah, totally. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned hip hop anime a second ago, mm -hmm. or did, did I screw that up? Or well, it's anime inspired hip hop. Anime inspired hip hop, yeah. or okay. video game inspired hip hop. Okay. Tech and sci fi inspired hip hop. I have a buddy who's a hacker who really works at InfoSec and he's also a hacker rapper and we do show I do shows with him at hacker conventions where a lot of his wordplay is on security terminology okay. working to rap so like wow the general term for that is nerdcore yeah I was gonna say it sounds he heavy in the nerd lane yeah yeah whichever but uh and looking at your stuff a uh, couple couple fascinating terms uh weeb yeah, uh, and when I say fa fascinating, typically I'm, t I'm talking about something that I had to look up the definition of. Uh, so derisive term for non-Japanese person so obsessed with Japanese culture that they wish they actually were Japanese is. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was uh, uh, what do you call that? It, it, that was the definition that I found. Yeah, and, and a lot of the times where you see somebody like me use it, it's a little bit watered down because otaku is also a, the initial definition is kind of derogatory okay um but yeah like i don't wish i was japanese <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're just into a but, lot of elements of japanese culture yes okay yeah um super saiyan super saiyan that super is, saiyan wow yeah, super okay. saiyan that is a legendary warrior from the dragon ball universe uh came about in dragon ball z still exists in dragon ball super um, so there are levels to there are different types of Super Saiyans in the unit in that universe, but for a while there was just like nobody had ascended to the level of Super Saiyan in, in thousands of years. So when I say I'm a trombone Super Saiyan, it's kind of saying that you know I'm like this, uh, you know I'm that gotcha. guy okay. on trombone okay. sort of thing. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I so I looked the I looked up Saiyan. Uh, an advanced tra transformation utilized by members and hybrids of the San race yep. that have sufficient amounts of S cells in the Dragon Ball franchise. Uh, and then San's a race of extraterrestrials in the Dragon Ball anime and manga. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's adaptive sequels, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball uh, GT, Dragon Ball Super. And after all that, I were you remember <laughs> double double rainbow yeah. all the way. <laughs> what does it all mean? What does it all mean? <laughs> I finished writing down those definitions, and I was like, I just have more words than I started with. But I think my level of confusion is. But no, I'm kidding. It's it's. I I think I understand it all. Um, but BA and MBA from University of Alabama. Are, are mm. were you where were you born and raised? I was born in Lonsdale, Germany, because my parents were military. Okay. I was, so I spent three years in Europe, mostly in Germany, um, and then three years in California. My both, my parents got divorced and they both left the military. Um, so, and my mom's from Alabama. My dad's from Texas, but he went and played college football in Georgia. Okay. At uh, Albany State. And my mom moved with me back to the Mobile area in Alabama. Okay. Technically, Baymanette. Uh, or Spanish for it, which is where I went to school. Um, but yeah, are they? Uh, how old were you when they when they split? Five, five. Okay, uh, and they left the military um, a, a little after that. So basically, from five on, you're living with mom. Uh, yeah. And was she? Did she put music on in the house? No, no, that was mostly dad. Dad, dad. a lot of my my 
um, my organization, which isn't incredible, but the little organization that I have and my kind of even keel demeanor is my mom, also my uh, temper (laughs) (laughs) Um, that I've had to figure out how to manage. And then um, a lot of my drive, ambition, extroversion, and musical interest is from my dad. Okay, my dad always we'd be we'd go on road trips and he'd play all sorts of music. Do you have siblings? I do. Uh, that came way later though. I have okay, a, I have a seventeen-year-old brother. I'm, okay, I'm thirty-three. Okay, so, um, my mom remarried. Right. Are so are are you still close with both mom and dad? Yep. And are, do they? Do they communicate at all, or are they chill? not so much anymore? Right. Not that now that I'm out of the house, right. like she'll ask how he's doing, and he'll say, you know, he'll, you know, they'll ask me to tell the other person, hey. hello, yeah. A lot of the bitterness and whatnot is is gone, Good. is long gone. Good, like they're, you know, it's yeah. just it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, so, what if if you're mostly living with mom, but she's not playing music? Like, what are your some of your earliest musical memories? <laughs> I mean, where are you hearing stuff? Or this is a bit traumatic. Okay. Um, but it also, there's an endearing bit to it now. Um, really, the f- one of the earliest musical memories I have is my mom coming home, and my dad was already home, and this is when they were fighting. This was like pre-split, but it was going to happen. To your, te- your teeny. Uh, yeah. Um, I think I was four when this happened. Dad was playing. Uh, dad knew mom was coming home, and he had... If You Think You're Lonely Now by Bobby Womack. Okay. And my mom walked in and heard it and looked at my dad and was like, what are you trying to say? (laughs) Um, Welcome home. And it turned into this gigantic argument. Um, And, and, you know, I still, that, me processing that turned me into a Bobby Womack fan. Okay. And I still play that song. Nice. You know, a lot. I'll have that song on repeat sometimes. Okay. Because I, it takes me through an entire range of emotions. I bet. Um, what about uh, when you start, like, uh, when you get a little bit older? Um, are you hanging with buddies? Uh, are you are you hearing music at friends' houses or school movies? What? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> this is lightened up on all all parts of the spectrum. But I grew up um, very very fundamentalist Christian. Oh, um, okay. Almost to an extreme degree. And, you know, my dad's still in ministry. Um, I still consider myself a person of faith, even though I'm definitely not fundamentalist. Um, and is, is there a like a, a one-line screenshot-y kind of definition to for... Because I don't know if I know what a fundamentalist Christian is. Um, Bible by the letter, 100%. Um, really almost legalistically going by what's sin and not sin um okay and so my so where where this is important to to your question is my dad while heavily in 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 ministry uh had no problem with playing a lot of you know all the music on my mom's end i wasn't supposed to listen to secular music um but because i was a band kid like it was just unavoidable. So Secular I was exploring music. certain things. Yeah. What a term. Yeah. Wild. Right. Uh, it's, it's really wild. I've had, I've, I've had to really go through a lot of deconstructions, especially as a musician, trying to educate myself on music. Um, 
because I I know plenty of I know people who would consider themselves Christian rappers who listen to the whole spectrum of music. Sure. Um, and so there's a lot that I missed that when I was in undergrad and grad school, especially when I realized that I wanted to be, even though I wasn't sure if I wasn't if I was trying to be a full time like artist, be my job, um, or have being a being an artist as a vocation. I knew I wanted to do music for the rest of my life some kind of way. And I had, I started just like gradually educating myself on all these things. Um, part of the, I, I consider myself a bit of a late bloomer. Whereas, you know, a lot of people, they, a lot of people really start who are successful hip hop artists. Um, they, they've started making airwaves in their early twenties, if not their late teens sure. to their mid twenties. And then you find out that they've actually been trying to figure out how to do that since they were like 12, right? Okay, yeah. Um, whereas I didn't start doing the work, taking the work seriously to be an artist until I was 25. Um, and part of that is because uh, my music exposure was a bit limited. Um, and so there's a lot that I missed developmentally on all sides of the field except for jazz okay because i was in band and in jazz band and studying you know great trombonist and whatnot sure uh um, that makes sense yeah it makes 100 like percent sense and uh it's sort of like you know um i kind of was just listening to oldies and then classic rock and then had a big dip in the rap and hip hop waters and, and, and was kind of out of that for a little bit, exploring a bunch of other stuff, eventually coming back to it. And, and now it's like, you know, it's, it's part of the fabric. It's not a huge, but I, it makes me wonder about, I mean, cause so like if I'm, I don't know, 13, 14 listening to, um, uh, Easy NWA, Two Live Crew, Two Short, all this stuff. Like, like I, there were definitely a couple concrete moments where I was, was going like, you know, I I know that I'm not supposed to be listening to it. Like, if my mom knew what I was listening to, she'd be like, no. But like, you know, if 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 I'm in charge of myself in the world, should I be listening to this at this age? Uh, and then you know, sort of like if you experiment with drugs or substances before you're developed enough to yeah. be. Uh, so it's, it's, it, it makes me think that, you know, perhaps uh, some of the lanes or some of the genres came to you when you're a little bit more developed, which is maybe a good thing, you know, maybe gives you a perspective or a sense of grounding. I don't know. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I got enough, you know, from my friends who back when Kaza or Kaza and LimeWire were thing, illegally downloaded like right. Eminem records. Right. So I heard, you know, a good bit of Eminem and a decent amount of Lil Wayne. Um, but it was, it was never on my own. I wasn't able to like actually study it as sure. a, as a rapper, even right. though I've been rapping since I was 11. Right. Nice. But, but most of what I listened to was quote unquote, holy hip hop. Um, so there, there's just holy hip hop. Huh? Yeah. There's okay. definitely, um, you know, just almost exclusively Christian rap. Okay. And um, even then, I didn't, I didn't listen to a lot of that. I mostly was listening to jazz because it was safer or like versions of jazz and whatnot. Um, and I really, honestly, wasn't really consuming a lot of music. Okay. Um, 
So yeah, a well, lot that's of- crazy because you said. I mean, you s- sounded like uh, the, the one time I saw you. Um, you know, a pro's pro. I mean, <laughs> you have uh, a serious charisma and energy. Uh, I mean, like the trombone is visible, right? Yeah. You can't look at a stage full of dudes or guys and girls and not see the trombone. But I didn't expect you to freestyle. And all I mean, you all of a sudden, I don't even know how you count bars, but it was just like, you know, I, I, I guess when I realized that you were doing it, I thought maybe you'd have a couple lines, but it was just like, da, 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 and I was like, where is this guy from? You know, like very, very impressive. So thank you. Uh, I, I don't know if I would have put it together that you've been doing it since you were 11, because uh, it's hard to imagine the starting point when you're just seeing the today's model, yeah. but uh, really, really good stuff, man. Um, and I, I talk uh, often. I know some uh, writers like uh, Casey star uh, folks that have written for the Casey star, especially in the sports community have talked over the years about this notion of um, Kansas city, uh, kind of being in a perpetual identity crisis mode where it's like we want we know we're not new york la but we want to be considered you know on some level like not a small market small town whatever uh but it it made me feel i don't know is kansas city been home to you for a while now yeah it'll be um it'll be 10 years next summer okay well it made me feel proud as a kansas Cityan to to call call you one of our own even though at the time i didn't know if you actually lived here or not but um <laughs> that, that means a lot i, I appreciate it dude that. your stuff is so good um i i haven't um i haven't dug into your content uh yet um but i absolutely plan to um so you got one sibling way down the line um was there um by the time you're, you know, for me, it was cutting grass and babysitting and eventually a job, you know, where I'm, I have my own money and I'm buying music. Was there a, an acquisition or a purchase music wise at any point that was kind of like a first love or a, 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 a gut check or a light bulb or. Yeah. Um, so things that were really impactful to me, um, I could run down the line. Um, I heard an illegal download of Eminem show. Okay. When I was in eighth grade. Okay. Um, and I just really felt it, you know, um, uh, I heard a little bit of food and liquor when it came out in 2006, but didn't listen to the whole album. I was still in school and I was also like a really well-behaved kid. And I actually, um, my mom and my former stepfather, um, because they also ended up splitting after a while. Um, um, he was an overbearingly strict person oh. on me. Um, and and your mom just let him. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a whole thing. Sure. She's apologized to me for that okay. sense. Um, we'll cover all that when you come back. <laughs> <laughs> but because all the, all this affects my music journey, you know, like it's you know, uh, I would just you know, be out there like that. But there was a lot that I, you know, they didn't want me to do, so I didn't do it. Okay. Um, good for you. Good for them, I guess. And maybe good for you too. They're extraordinarily lucky. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is because I had my dad in my ear 
basic. I, I'm I'm positive. This is, this is I, Alabama. Yeah, but and my dad at the time, my dad was in Georgia. Georgia, still. okay. Um, but you know, my dad and I have a really good relationship, and I absolutely would have rebelled and made their lives miserable if my dad hadn't coached me down. Sure. To you know, he's like, it's not you know, on some. This isn't really worth it. This was mom really aware that that was happening? She has no idea. Okay. Yeah, she has no idea. Uh, you know, I've told her some things since we've talked and, you know, we've talked about like that time in my life and especially the conversation where she apologized for not standing up for me more. Um, but because of that, because of all of that, there's just a lot of music that I went back and listened to after it happened, especially in grad school when I started uploading weekly nerd and nerdy raps or whatever you want to call them on the YouTube and realized that, like, I really, really want to do this. At this point, my band was one of the most popular bands in Tuscaloosa. Cool. I'm playing all these packed out shows all the time. And I'm the only guy who's rapping with a band in the city. Nice. Um, and just had a really good following there. And I'm like, I actually want to do this some kind of way. I need to educate myself on what's going on to a better degree. And at that point, I was listening to way more music because I was in college. I'm on my own. Well, so, actually, going back like and another one of those bandwidth adjustments where you make conscious time to, yeah, be a student to, like you're talking about with content and stuff yeah. right now. And this is a long answer. Uh, or this is this to the to the purchase that was impactful thing. Um, so, uh, the cool came out in 2007. Lupe Fiasco's second studio album. That was like, like a a really strong moment for me because he's such a nerd. And he, you could just tell in his bars things he raps about. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy listening to it. Um, and I listened to the Carter Three when it dropped. And then I was following. And so then I'm following albums, right? But then I went back and listened to Food and Liquor fully. And that was a game changer. That whole album was a game changer for me and how I was writing. Um, just completely didn't. Seeing somebody have mainstream success that Lupe Fiasco had. And being as much of a nerd openly as he was, um, was very, was very big. So that was the first thing. The second thing was it's 2011. I'm listening to the Carter Four, and I, I, and so I went to buy it. And a few, a few slots down on the iTunes hip hop charts, there was something that looked like a Final Fantasy VII graphic, and it was in the rap category. And I'm like, what? And it's some guy named Mega Ran. And um, it was called Black Materia, and it was a Final Fantasy VII-inspired rap album. Well, sounds like right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, and I had all these secret video game and anime-inspired raps that I didn't like. let anybody hear. I'm like, nobody wants to hear that. Um, and you know, this dude is like on the iTunes hip-hop charts. Written and recorded, and you're the only person that knows, knows about him? Uh, not, not always recorded, okay. but definitely okay. written sure. with beats, you know, everything. Um, and seeing that was huge. Uh, so I'll go ahead and, and long story short this for you. Mega Rand's like a mentor and big brother now. Okay. I emailed him. Then no way. And I asked him if he took interns. And I didn't, I, little did I know, he had just quit his teaching job and was on, on his first national tour with a guy who goes by MC Chris. Um, now, like, we have all these songs together. Mega Rand's a hugely successful independent rap artist right now. Okay. Um, and, you know, he's got a Guinness record for having the most songs about a fandom or a f most fandom-inspired songs cool. of any rapper because he has so many Mega Man-inspired rap songs. Nice. Um, 
so that black material was massive for me and that was and then not long after i heard that like the later that year i put out a skyrim inspired rap and this was right when i had started started my mba Uh, i put out a skyrim inspired rap and it front paged reddit and it front paged reddit does that mean it appears near the top it was on the when you open reddit and see that for initial list of I stuff. I mean, every, I don't know. Every time somebody <laughs> sends something, it's like, do you want to open it with Chrome or do you want to open it via Reddit? And sometimes the Reddit app has gone to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so I'll re-download it. And then I get in there and I was like, I don't know if I'm where I'm supposed to be. It's it's confusing to me. But uh, I, I, I have a lot of newspaper background, so I can picture the concept. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a little cool. different now because there's so many apps and things now. But yeah. then it was like, you know, you're, people were on opening their computers. And it, it was like the, .com. what message boards kind of graduated to was Reddit, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, well, you uh, gave me a super, super fascinating list. Um, we, I, I typically go chronologically by release year. Um, so, okay. uh that puts us with Goodbye Yellow Brick yeah. Road, Elton John, 1973. Um, didn't see that coming. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you know uh, Shiner. I had the drummer in for an episode, yeah. and he that was the only record that he put. He, he was like, we'll just talk. It's the greatest record ever. We'll just talk about that. So we talked about it a bunch. And I really sort of thought that I had, you know, with all of my years just kind of hovering in classic rock land, I thought I knew most of the Elton John, I was so blown away by um, how amazing that record is. Um, I didn't know Candle in the Wind mm-hmm. was on a 1973 record because it got uh, super huge uh, in the in the weekly countdown in the late 80s, and so I thought it was a new song back then. Um, I had no idea uh, the musicianship of uh, Nigel Olsen and D. Murray yeah. on drums and bass. I mean, just like world class. Um, and you know, there's hits on there. There's some couple couple funny, curious tracks. But really, for me, um, I've seen that movie too. Sweet Painted Lady, Dirty Little Girl, All the Girls Love Alice, and Social Disease. Um, are just phenomenal cut and, and not to, I'm not trying to slight any other tracks on the record, but those really, really, really just, I mean, left me kind of bug eyed and blown away. But how did this record land in your lap? Um, music education, self-education cool. process. I finished grad school and, um, um, I felt pretty solid about where I would look, the hip hop side of things and trying okay. to educate myself on MC, as an MC. And honestly, in that regard, if you listen to the stuff I was putting out in 2012 and 2013 and listen to what I put out in late 2014 on, it's drastically different because of this education process okay. and actually informing myself and allowing myself to think differently about how I write. I wanted to find a, I wanted to listen to a hundred greatest albums of all time list that wasn't hip hop heavy. So I went to Rolling Stone. Okay. And I still haven't gotten all the way through that list. I mean, way. I was going to say, holy <laughs> smokes, how did you do that? Um, so I haven't gotten through it. And uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, I think, was in the 70s or the 60s on that list. Okay. Um, which surprised me when I listened to it because I was just, 
Um, all all the girls love Alice is like probably one of my favorite songs ever. I mean, it's just such a masterpiece of a song. Um, but I had somehow never listened to any of that record except for Benny and the Jets and Sa- Saturday Night. It's all right for fighting. Had you not heard that one? Either? It wasn't something. I th- it wasn't something that I recognized. Sure. Okay. Immediately. Okay. Um, or uh, opening track, uh, "Love Lies Bleeding" funeral for a friend. You had I hadn't. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I hadn't. I'm pretty sure I've heard them in sure. passing, but not something that like intentional. Yeah. Mindful listening. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Um, so it was really inspiring to run through that record. And this was at this time I'm listening to. I think it's. Early 2014, I'm okay. at Cerner Corporation. I'm in the office, um, kind of just lollygagging a little bit, listening to this record, and it's just like my whole nothing else exists sort of thing. I'm just listening to this album, like, oh my god, how have I not? Are you guys hearing this? It's it was just kind of it was kind of magical. Cool. Um, and for as for someone who doesn't really follow a lot of rules anymore especially from an artsy genre standpoint that was really impactful um because that that's not the idea of elton john that i grew up with you know i just thought of elton john as like a piano player who sang and it it totally this totally. is fully a fully expansive i mean it's rock but like it's kind of a fully expansive experience of different sounds and yes. vibes um so that that's why that one was really that was a really impactful listen. I almost put Tommy by the Who in there because oh. that was the same the okay. same thing. I'm like, yo, this album is ridiculous. How the and that was one where I hit up like all my white friends from grade school, <laughs> and I'm like, how could you not make me listen to this album? Because I knew that Tommy existed because right. of them. But Tommy's you, the like operaish one though, right? Yeah, uh, I, I that one, uh, you know. I, I haven't spent a bunch of time intentionally and mindfully listening to The Who. I know a lot of Who, mm-hmm. but Tom, I, I own a copy of Tommy on cassette that I bought, and I put it on, and I was like, I don't know if this is for me. But that was when I was in middle school or yeah. early high school. I haven't revisited, but it was pretty impactful for you. Yeah. Um, I love I love operatic albums that okay. are opera. Right. Red storytelling yeah. and it's and it's that that concept, but you know, without the big, um, you know, the big arias and whatnot. Sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, that the uh, goodbye yellow brick road was a standout from that. I mean, it's experience. so. I mean, do you have you revisited it any time recently or? Um, this week because we were. Uh, I knew I knew this okay, was coming okay. up, but I actually haven't. I haven't, I forget, I actually forget everything I put on this list, but I haven't listened to, I think, any of those albums in a while. Okay. I don't remember what all was on there, but. Uh, so, well, next we'll move from 73 to 06 and Lupe, Lupe Fiasco, uh, Food and Liquor, um, which I didn't know what to expect, um, but uh, really good. And Incredible, it, right? every time I listen to a, a record that I didn't know uh, and I enjoy it. I'm like, fuck, because the list is, it just keeps going and going and going. I mean, we'll, t- we'll talk a, a couple more of your records, uh, sort of the same situation, but I mean, this dude, uh, really fun. Um, Wasalu Muhammad Jaco, uh, mm-hmm. Chicago, 1982. Uh, front man of a rock band Japanese cartoon yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like okay yeah that, that tracks 
but also uh, two clothing lines, Righteous Kung Fu and Trilly and Truly. Uh, loved clarinet pl- player Benny Goodman, wrote poems eventually. Um, and the, uh, it was written by Nas. He heard that supposedly and, and like hip hop, that's the, that's the lane I, I belong in. Um, and then to get sort of to the concept of this record, I think he talks about food and liquor being like good and evil Yeah, and, and food is the good and liquor is the evil and, uh, trying to balance those ideas in your everyday life, I guess is the concept there. But, um, so did you say that you went to buy food and liquor intentionally? Yeah. Okay. Cause I had bought the cool. Right. Right. And the cool is one of the first album purchases I made as a, as a legal human. Okay. Like, you know, I was, <laughs> I was, you know, not far into 18. Okay. And it just started college. Right. Um, and then I had to go back and get the first album because people were like, yo, if you think the cool is amazing, you got to hear Food and Liquor, which a lot of people think, consider to have gotten snubbed for a lot of Grammys. Uh, Ludacris won, I think, a rap album that year over an album that like nobody really remembers. or like I don't even remember the name of the album. Right. Um, and F- Food and Liquor was just sitting there. It's this phenomenal thing. But it, it had kind of a botched rollout and got leaked, so it didn't sell oh, as much. Bummer. All that stuff. Okay. Um, but by the album, I'm every track on it for me is really impactful. But hurt me soul really, really hit me. Just the way that the way that he approached all these ills and things of the world, starting from a personal lens. Yeah. Where the first the first like eight bars, he talks about his conflict with the word bitch in hip hop. Until he dated one. <laughs> um, just going to erase this chapter. <laughs> and uh, just his um, his willingness to look in the mirror a little bit lyrically. Um, and just how beautiful that, that song is in general. And also Daydream, which he did win a Grammy for Daydream. Um, being talking about essentially navigating the projects, but from the lens of riding in a giant robot. Right. Brilliant. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, uh, there's hoes selling hoes like right around the toes, you know, like, <laughs> so there's a, there's a, uh, a, a chunk. Uh, I gotcha into the instrumental into he say, she say into sunshine which I, I it felt to me like oh this is the the core of this record this is a really strong like everything else can exist because of this sequence of tracks uh daydreaming though uh, was one that felt uh, it just just because it wasn't right in that stretch it, it was equally strong and mm-hmm. really impressive um i mean so his the the part what is it food and liquor two and yeah. it's got uh, another sort of the sub- great American rap album yes yes but all also good and yeah not I'd say not quite as good I think he's like taking himself too seriously on it okay a bit. okay but um, a lot of strong tracks on there and you know uh, Braveheart from that from part two is still on one of my hip hop playlists nice there are a couple songs that I will always keep 
on at least one workout playlist. Uh, one's forgot about Dre. Oh, nice. And Braveheart's another okay, one. Okay. Okay. It's really, it just really, you know, you know, gets the juices flowing. Yeah, and how he, he starts both verses. May the Lord have mercy on my soul, um, and then just talks about a lot of stuff. Uh, but yeah, yeah, um, I, I enjoyed pretty much all of Lupe's albums to some nice. degree. But okay, uh, skip four years up. Uh, back of town, mm-hmm. 2010 trombone shorty. Um, I, you know. For as many records um, that people tell me about that I listen to that are amazing, I, I, I gotta revisit this, you know, not just once, but but also mindfully and not distracted and just background noise. So there's that list, and then there's another list that always seems to be uh, hovering and you know waving itself in my face, and, and it pisses me off because it's full of really, really, really amazing records that I wish I would have discovered a long time ago this record is like the tits for me i mean it is so free it kicks so much ass i'm i'm biased because i i tend to lean uh from time to time into that sort of uh funky jazz new orleans neighborhood uh with a lot of my preferences but um this is such a good record I it's mean, so good um so also uh, another we uh Tro- Troy Andrews 1986 New Orleans uh I mean the level of celebrity involvement Bo Diddley invited him on stage at Jazz Fest when he was like young yeah young, very young. young uh went to school with John Batiste mentored by Cyril Cyril Neville part of Lenny Kravitz's horn section I mean and then he's played with Dirty Dozen Rebirth U2 Green Day Warren Stanton I mean uh, Pee Wee Ellis, Fred, Fred Wesley, Maceo Parker. It's just like, I mean, uh, such a wild list of uh, folks that to, to have played with, to have been inspired by. I mean, how how this one wind up in your? Um, so, Trombone Shorty and I have a long history, not personally. Okay. But, um, I'm rapping and I'm playing trombone. At this point in time, I'm thinking I want to be maybe the next J.J. Johnson, and I'm not thinking about, I'm not taking myself seriously as a rapper at all. This is in high school. Okay. But I could rap very well. I dominate freestyle sessions in, in the courtyard in high school, and everybody knew I could rap. Being rap, being a good at rapping, Alabama. actually. Yeah, okay. in Alabama, in high school. Like, being good at rapping got me out of a lot of the trouble you would deal with being a huge nerd in high school. Like, okay. Um, because it's like, no, this dude's a huge nerd, but he can, he can wrap his ass off, you know, sort of, sort of thing. Okay. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm, don't I, mess with him or he'll, he'll put you in one of his rides. And like, I had, I had cousins who were star athletes and some of them were running drugs through school and they wouldn't, you know, uh, they wouldn't let anybody do okay, anything to okay. me also. Uh, that's how people found out I could rap. Cause when they found out I could rap, then they paraded me around, and then put me in a situation where like I had to bar out and I was like, all right. <laughs> and I did, <laughs> you know, nerves didn't get in the way. Yeah, of oh. course they did, but I still did it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, so, but, um, as a trombone player who rapped, I was like, I wonder if anybody raps and plays trombone. And I saw, I discovered trombone shorty on SoundCloud because somebody mentioned him to me. Nice. Um, 
and this is, you know, the Mobile area is two hours away from New Orleans, two and a half hours. So Trombone Shorty was known for amongst, you know, the celebrities that he played with and in New Orleans, but nobody else knew who he was outside of the Southeast Gulf Coast region. Right. So this is before, you know, he inked the deal, anything like that. Um, and he had more of a New Orleans bounce, like rap heavy sound on some of his stuff. Even though he was playing trombone, it sounded like, it sounded like you know Master P or somebody was was had had a trombone player on No Limit sort of thing. Okay, the okay. first thing I heard from him, that's that was what it felt sure. like. And so I was annoyed because I was like, oh, somebody's doing this already. I thought I had this novel concept. Turns out he's more of like a soul and you know R and B singing guy with a trombone presence. But I've been listening to him for a while. So then when he started touring nationally, internationally, I was really excited for him. Um, and then David, the Dave Matthews band took took him on tour as an opener. They did? Okay. Yeah, and, okay. And they'd bring him out. So I'm just excited for this dude. That, that so, was probably those were probably fun shows to be at. And oh, probably yeah. fun for Dave's band and and him to jam together. Yeah. I think. I, I only saw like clips on YouTube of this stuff. I never went to one of them. Um, so when back of town came out, that was his major label debut. I just got it, you know, I just, because I was excited and it's it was so cool when you like love an artist and they put out a new record and you, you're, you get it like in a timely yeah. fashion and then it's amazing. Yeah. Like, if you guys need any answers to anything in life, call me. I, I and, got, I got it all figured out. And not like, not like I'm the, obviously I'm not the only person to do this, but there are that time period I followed a lot of artists from when they first were starting to break nationally to when they were, oh my God, this person. Uh, most of them was on the hip hop side. So like uh, B.O.B., Drake, uh, Kendrick, um, Cole. Like I was following all these guys from like mixtape wow. drops okay. up. Okay. Uh, Logic. Um, so I was just really excited to see him drop that I Made It record, you know? Um, and then, and then it's an immaculate, immaculate yes. album. Oh my God. It's so good. Um, so we move to, uh, well, we stay in 2010, but we move to, uh, I guess another list for me is, uh, artists that I've sat down with and tried to listen to and just doesn't, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I went to, a buddy's like I went back to my college town and, and while I was there, my, this buddy of mine just burned me this huge stack of CDs and most of them. And I, you know, this is Oh four. So, and I'm, in, I'm in grad school at the time. So I would uh, sit at my desk and, and plug into my, put, put the CD into my heart, my desktop and listen while I was doing whatever. And, and a lot of the CDs he gave me, I was like, eh, it's not for, but that's, I know for a fact I've revisited a handful of them recently and they, they hit different now. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, when he gave me that stack, there were a couple of Kanye West records in there. And the only memory that stays with me, uh, is that one, the one record was like 17 tracks, long and there's a lot of talking especially on one track in particular he's just like talking about himself minute after minute after minute and i was like what the fuck is this but um from your list my beautiful dark twisted fantasy i was like okay i, I really haven't sat down and listened to kanye since then i mean i'm sure i've heard 
his stuff and m- maybe not even been aware of it. But I was like, let's go. Um, and this is a really uh, wild story. I mean, I didn't know that he went to Hawaii and was like kind of uh, trying to be off the grid for a minute. Um, I, I guess they spent or he spent $3 million to make this record. Uh, supposedly there's pieces of paper around the studio saying no tweets, no blah, blah, blah. Uh, people are kind of working around the clock like he, including him, he's taking like little naps. Uh, just a really, really crazy seeming, uh, story of producing the album during the sessions, during the recording. Um, and it feels um, much more worldly and not quite so um, self, uh, self-involved self or, um, what did I say, egotistical, much less egotistical than... Mm. The, so tell me about this one for you. Um, this was the record of like my circle my senior year of college okay um so really late junior year and the senior year how how far away what were high school and college i mean same town okay oh no oh uh uh four hours okay so tuscaloosa Tuscaloosa is um a couple hundred miles north of the mobile area okay okay so junior senior year um and it's really unfortunate to see where Kanye is now, especially with where I don't. He's I, he's in he's being talked about all the time. Where is he right uh, now? I I um, he's I mean he's been on some anti-Semitic stuff, right? He's like yes. very very like anti-black black conservatives. Black conservatives do exist, but there's like a lot of anti-blackness in what Kanye West is doing right now, saying right now. Um, and he's been he's been on this journey. Kanye West has always been an ideologue and a bit of a narcissist. And um, you know his he's he's transformed popular music twice. You know, like him, his output um, with with like between his first five albums. You're probably talking about late registration, okay? Because um, uh, there's a bit of talking on that record. Um, Either, and there's a bit of talking on College Dropout too, but like I I love both of those albums. Okay, um, I'm I'm really a fan of of Kanye's like first five or six albums. How many does he? Is he up to like ten? Yeah, I think he's up to like I think he's up to like ten. Okay, ten or maybe more than that. I have to count them in my head. Sure. Um, but this one was five. Um, and it's like a perfect amalgamation of the great greatest parts of his previous albums. Interesting. Um, and it is it is it's so collaborative, and he's not. It's like the least egotistical he is. But I I would call not my beautiful dark twisted fantasy probably the first perfect album I've listened to. Um, and I'd say that between that and the Pimp a Butterfly, those are the best two albums of that decade. Um, that top three would be uh would include um um tw- i think twenty one by adele okay uh for 
Kadesh Flow is perfect. Though. Yeah, and, okay. and two of those came out in the same year. Right. You know, so. Right. Uh, but it's just a masterpiece of an album. There's so much that's happening orchestrally and from a production standpoint. And some of the best verse, there are, I think, three different rappers featured on the album who many would argue delivered their best verses in their careers on that album. Really? Two of them are Rick Ross and Nicki Minaj. Okay. Um, uh, you could argue, um, there are a couple of others you could argue about, but definitely Nicki Minaj and Rick Ross. Uh, Rick Ross's verse on Devil and the New Dress um, is just like, probably one of the only times I've ever heard him be that thoughtful because okay. normally he's just kind of a bit hedonistic or talking a lot, just talking a lot of noise. Okay. Um, so you think they like mentally were getting up for this, uh, these appearances, those two, there was, there was stuff that, uh, from my understanding, Kanye just wasn't going, wasn't going to accept. Um, and he, he kind of demanded like the best out of everybody. I mean, working I on that project. DJ premier gave him a bunch of stuff and he didn't use any of it. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I love that guy like that hurts but not my record it's and you know it was um kind of like a soundtrack of life thing mm -hmm. um for for that point of time in my life but also okay just a really immaculate album and hearing how high art how hip like that was i think the first time i heard hip-hop and thought this is high art you know yes um, and that was that was very impactful to i'm me, so. sure um, Rick Ross, Nicki Minaj, Kid Cudi, John Legend, Elton John, uh, and, and I, I just poached a few names mm -hmm. from a larger list. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, if you found yourself, uh, this person that you super, super deeply love has been in a coma for 20 years and they, one day they just wake up. And it immediately it occurs to you that you still deeply love this person and you want them to be in your life on whatever, uh, but they don't, they've never heard of Kanye. Like, how do you describe to them who he is and what he has done? I mean, uh, what did you reinvented m music tw twice? What was the, yeah, the trajectory of pop music. He's okay. changed, changed basically twice, twice. Um, a really anecdotal way to put that is so I have a sync licensing rep for music synchronization into like television and film and whatnot. Um, what a lot of music supervisors want from indie hip hop artist that gets placed on television, a lot of it just sounds like old Kanye. Hmm. Um, and what's so what we now call mumble rap and the trend of like auto tune rapping and singing. Um, a lot. There's a bunch of stuff that it's not that Kanye invented it, any of it. Um, it's that like 808s and Heartbreaks was like this. At the time, people considered it a letdown of an album from Kanye because he went a totally different direction. Anybody expected him to go, but now that's like what's dominating a lot of hip hop. Hmm. This like drippy, sing songy, yeah. emo yep. sort of rap sounds yeah. with heavily minimal like heavy 808s and otherwise minimalistic production that was it, kanye it seems like uh and i way 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 uninformed so uh, correct me if i'm wrong but it seems like he 
you know, kind of opened some lanes or cleared some paths for some of that stuff to sort of take form and then eventually take off. Is that yeah? Safe? Okay, yeah, and and pop music has borrowed a lot of that, which is why I say that. The other one I should I should say twice. The other one's hip hop because um, when Kanye was just producing, when he was producing for Jay Z, him and Just Blaze basically started uh or popularized or ch- popularized the chipmunk soul situation that mm. then dominated a full decade right. of hip-hop right. that's where you'd have those pitched up samples mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of like you know there's a beat it's like <laughs> you know um yeah <laughs> yeah but that was that was that was kanye as a producer okay um so you know some of the most important race records that jay-z did that literally you know impacted and influenced where hip-hop was going were produced by kanye sort hmm. of thing um funny that you mentioned that uh def jam and rockefeller get production credits for this i i don't know that it, if if i'm i don't know that i've ever seen a record have you know because to me that's that sounds like both labels are getting credit and mm-hmm. and and probably money for this record i i didn't know that labels collaborated like that that does happen okay and this in this specific situation i'm not entirely positive how that works right but that that does happen yeah yeah um well i mean so one dude from rolling stone called it uh pink floyd sized king crimson sampling 68 minute prog rap behemoth in the age of shrinking budgets uh which is sounds like something of a mouthful but it also sounds like it's kind of accurate too yeah it's huge i mean you know, it's a it's a huge sounding on like just effort of a record yeah monster uh by far and away the best track i've ever listened to of his and so that's probably this record and two records from that i got no for so a lot left to listen and just on a first time first listen basis but maybe the strongest track on the record for me um, monster's pretty pretty epic yeah um the album covers thing there he he had an artist do like five different paintings but the one that seems to be the record is like this picture of him with a some kind of woman creature on top of him and he's holding a beer, but it's on everywhere stream. It's, it's blurred out. But then there's all these other cool pieces of art too, that are, I mean, it's it's a lot of energy and time and money to give to your album cover, which I I mean, I'm, um, a really really big album guy i think that you know uh, there's something to be said about having and holding the thing and looking at the art and reading the credits and so on and so forth so the fact that he did give it that much attention i thought was super cool um runaway i've seen people do like tiktok shit you know they i've never known what it was really until i was like <laughs> oh i know this shit and so then it's like that's weird, man. That I'm like, I'm listening, actually listening to a Kanye track and realizing that I saw it first on, on TikTok. TikTok yeah. Um. So, jump forward to 2015, and "To Pimp a Butterfly" was your final um 
and a real similar experience. Um, I, I did a, a bunch of years, um, in the restaurant business, cooking, chef, and, and, uh, when, oh, no, I want to say maybe 2010 was when I first started hearing of Kendrick and somebody brought in a record and played it at work. And I was just like, this is crap. Like, and it was, it was just, he kept playing this one song over again. And, and, and the cadence is something like he says a phrase and then he says drank. Oh, after swimming it. pools. Yeah. And I was like, this is like, people are like Dre's, this is Dre's new thing. And everybody's saying this is the next. And I was like, this is crap. And then, uh, you know, I closed the chapter on Kendrick Lamar until now. Oh man, I'm so sorry. Well, <laughs> it will be reopened. It's been, I've been needing to reopen it, but it just hasn't happened. Uh, yeah. But this record is beautiful. I mean, uh, one, one listen in, which to me, you got to have sort of three full start to finish before you're even really allowed to say anything about it. But how this one land in your lap? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm very comfortable now after this year this this last drop putting kendrick in my top five all time okay um and i almost put good kid mad city the album that swimming pools is on okay on this because there's a bonus track on that album called black boy fly that is one of the few track one one of the handful of tracks i would say made me want to be a rapper really maybe want to rap like actually made me want to do it um and that was 2000 late 2011 i think okay um around when the black material thing I told you about. I almost put black material on here too, okay. but I didn't want to give you like too much material because well, we'd be talking for forever. Yeah. Um, this one though is really important because aside from the fact that it came out the year that I started actually doing it, like um, it came out, I think in March, 2015 January, 2015 was the first time I had played an out of town convention show. And in late in October 2014, I released an album called Gateways. I was like, I'm going to use this album to try to book anime and video game conventions. I had a spreadsheet that I made of every venue at, I could find in every college town within a six-hour radius of Kansas City. Um, and I just started, and I made a, another spreadsheet of um, conventions that I knew had had live performances before. And I was reaching out to all these people. March 2015 was the first rap set I did in Kansas City. Um, a lot of stuff was very important to me. Then And then To Pimp a Butterfly comes out, and I was struggling with the concept of rules at the time of being like, do I, like, I'm a trombone player and a rapper. I should separate them. Because I had this record executive from Interscope Records, um, how I how I was in that conversation in the first place is a whole different story. <laughs> but I was having a conversation with like a VP of global marketing or something like that for Interscope Records, and just I wasn't trying to get anything. I was it wasn't like a, I'm going to sign you a conversation. He was just giving me advice, and he was like, "I think people are going to not know what to do with you if you present yourself as a rapper and a trombonist." That conflicted with a lot of things because even this is a whole other thing. My junior year of college, I had dinner with Neil Gaiman, and I asked him about comics and hip-hop and jazz and i was like i don't know i feel like the rule you're the rules are supposed to say you're not supposed to combine all these things 
and I don't and I don't know what to do with that. And the old game and literally deadpan me and was like, "Don't worry about the rules." Um, so, so, so the the Interscope dude like wrecked not that, good advice. Wrecked that completely. He temporarily, like, cause that cause the Interscope guy that conversation I think was mid twenty fourteen. Okay. Um. So, hearing this album that essentially sounds like if Miles Davis and Dr. Dre did an album together, um was really powerful uh for as a as a jazz fan as a rap fan as a fan of Kendrick um having this guy who had the audacity to have beats that were co-produced by like Robert Glasper you know um and and have so much really relevant social commentary um all that stuff it's the only album I've ever listened to and literally just like cried really when it when like like the last pock you know that ends the album. Pac, Pac. I I was like, is that is that what they're saying? Because he uh, uh, he was gonna name it uh, TPA Caterpillar. C to yeah, to sort of an homage, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that meant he was a fan. Uh, yeah. And that they were maybe they were even tight. I don't no, know. no. He, he he. I don't think he. I don't think he knew him, but he's okay. carrying West Coast hip hop. You know, he's okay. Like the, oh yeah, yeah. The, of course. You know, of course. Carrying it, and he was the guy. Um, I still, I remember watching a YouTube video of a concert where he's, he's rapping and like Snoop and the game just ambush him on stage and in a good way. Okay. And they're like, you know, this is the guy carrying okay. the torch right? and all these legends come out on stage and he just breaks down and cries and everybody. For real? Him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When was that? This was in like 2011 or 2012. Okay. Damn. Um, so like, you know, he's carrying it. Sure. Um, and that. You know that interview had I like it was vaulted. Nobody had really heard it. Hadn't been published. Really, and he found it and was and then chopped it up. So like you realize you get to the end of the record and he's reading this poem throughout the record and you realize he's reading it to Tupac. He's reading it to like Tupac's ghost and then this f footage you know, that he found, they were able to chop it up. So hmm. it's like you know, sounds like a totally relevant right now conversation it's, that's happening. Sounds like a, a conversation or an interview or, or something. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, so you get mostly like three, four, five minute track lengths. And then this is the, that's the closer mm -hmm. 1207, I think it is. And it's like, uh, like really uh, kind of a, a monster song for half. And then the second half is, is this conversation and, uh yeah I I assume I the where I left off was I I must have been mishearing because he wouldn't have been just saying Pac. Well Pac. the 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 very end of the track right like, yes that's the last thing yes because Pac stops answering him so to me it's like he still wants to get more from the greats and he can't because they're gone right um and he's carrying you know he's carrying this torch and this pressure right um and that the that was just an overwhelming listening experience for me. I bet. Um, and I just like broke down, you know, that's literally the only time that's ever happened. Hmm. Um, in a, in an album listening experience. Uh, but that was also like a, like I felt like it's okay. Cause I'm, I'm only a few years younger than these guys. Okay. Um, and like I said, I'm a late bloomer as sure. far as the hip hop thing, actually doing it goes um 
So it's like I, that felt like, you know, do whatever occurs to you artistically. Just do it. Yeah, um, yeah, man. And right after that, like the year, the year following, the year between that album coming out and listening to it and feeling like released to do that and that following March, um, a few things happened that literally changed my trajectory. Okay. And I, I really felt, I really felt like part of the inspiration for that was, um, the experience I had hearing to Pimp a Butterfly. So, um, first rap set was a little after this album came out. I, uh, brought my trombone on stage, played it, soloed over. I opened up my beats soloed on some stuff i was rapping over i didn't know how that was going to work out i mean um i would me anxiety just thinking about <laughs> it and, and and this is over beats this is with the band sure sure um i was the butt crack of opener for this show nobody knew who i was in that situation except for a few people who had seen me freestyle at cyphers um for rap events um how was it received i lost their minds um like yeah in a good way okay yeah and uh, I tried to keep all the rap stuff secret at Cerner, but I have I have some YouTube videos that have done some numbers, and one of the people on my team had discovered my YouTube page and shared it with like the entire org. What? So, me with good intention, share. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, no, you, no, you didn't get any heat. No heat. Okay. Um, and then like forty people or something like that from the org came to the show. So, and I was like the super opener. And so these people came, they bought shots, they bought drinks, they turned up for my show. And then not long after I got done, they, most of them left and the show ended up being a bit of a dud. Oh, shit. so I looked really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was the first rap set. And then a, f- a few months down the road, I think that, that December, Eddie Moore, who's kind of a kingmaker here in Kansas City, piano player, okay. composer, just released an album, um, like just released a really remarkable album. Nice, actually, like a couple weeks ago, maybe. Okay, um, Eddie Moore. He used to have these. Uh, he used to have a group called the Outer Circle. Eddie Moore and the Outer Circle, and they do this event called Fresh to Death, where they'd play their songs and they'd feature an artist and do arrangements of their songs and he featured me and at that point in time people in the jazz community knew that I was a trombone player who had just moved here and people in the hip hop community knew that I was a rapper Eddie Moore putting me on his platform which was a very vibrant platform at the time as far as like people really came to these events cool um, that was when Kansas City people found out that I was an MC and a trombone player um, and then at this point, the Mega Rand guy I mentioned, yeah, he had added me to a collective of people called the Nerdy People of Color Collective, right? Uh, NPCC. And- that's a double entendre because non-player characters is all, are also NPCs, <laughs> and people of color have been treated as non-player characters in traditionally nerdy spaces, and we're kind of invading. Oh, interesting. That. Um, so it's about representation and all this stuff that's really cool. Wow. Um, so Mega Rand and I had never met Rand in person at this point. There's a giant event I'd, I'd wanted to play since college called MAGFest. It's music and gaming festival. It's simultaneously a video game convention and a music festival that oh, wow. primarily centers around video game-inspired music. 
and Mega Ran had three sets there, and he was like the only rapper for real that they booked. And um, he was like, I want to turn one of my sets into a showcase to get some of my people sold up here so you can see that there's more than just me. And then, you know, everybody else who was huge in nerdcore at the time was like, you know, nerdy white guy, um, safe, right? Sure, sure. Um, Man, shouts out to him for that. I mean, that sounds super, super cool. Um, yeah, this was life changing. So he was like, if you can get up here, I got a badge in the room for you. Um, where was it? This was in DC and and this was February, 2016. So this is all in the year that I'm talking about. Right. Um, so it's a Saturday night, 10 PM set. I have one song and then I play trombone with some people on a, on a couple other songs, 4,500 people, something like that. Um, yikes. And I played this song. Uh, people really went crazy over it. Cool, man. I think the performance was actually not great on my oh. end in retrospect. But you know, you're your own worst critic. People wish, really rocked with it. Certain people were here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but people really rocked with it. Cool. You know, first time I've ever like played, and and thousands of people have their hands up. You know, sort of thing. And off of that one song, I got booked at two of the largest anime conventions in the U.S. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and and then everything kind of started moving for me. Cool, um, man. So yeah, I know that's a bit of a long story, but literally um, it was kind of like listening to The Pimple Butterfly was like the last straw for me. Um, I, a bunch of things happened in 2015 that made me or 2014 that made me really say you know okay i'm gonna do this i'm gonna take this seriously i really want to be an artist i'm gonna believe. do the work believe, believe. yeah and that, said, if you, if the minute you stop believing the the minute the air kind of goes out of the sail and it, it, the, the chances of it becoming a, a reality you know fade you know belief is it's not the only fuel but it's an important fuel yeah and the trajectory of getting to where you want to go absolutely and that i think to pimple butterfly was kind of the last straw it's like hey the, this is the number one rap artist on the planet right now this will be the number one album in america and this is a large and a lot of people might consider it an experimental album I mean, this is a huge risk people in there and i know hip-hop heads who still don't like the album they what? still they still don't like it because oh. they, they just don't they just that's not a sound that they can handle for artistically and it worked and i'm like you know why why am i worried about anything why i'm just gonna be myself yeah man and a year a year of a year of that led me to like this pivotal point that really the magfest thing that was february 2016 uh, that is that is launch point for me. Cool. And Eddie Moore and the, Eddie Eddie Moore featuring me on Fresh to Death was Kansas City launch point for me. Okay. So um, yeah, so that's Love a it. so that's a hugely important album to me. Well, it uh, also a pretty significant guest list. I mean, George Clinton, Snoop Dogg, Rhapsody. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know that he had uh, prior to this album, I guess, uh, toured with Kanye. So they're mm -hmm. they, they're tight. I'm assuming uh entertain some dude from entertainment entertainment weekly called it a record that embraces the entire history of black american music yep i absolutely agree with that and i th I, th I think think that's 
and I'm I'm no expert on black American music, but I, I feel like it's almost palpable when mm-hmm. you listen. Um, King Kunta, uh, spooky, dope beats. Um, I mean, there's some, there's just some kind of smoothness across the whole album that doesn't always have the exact same feel, but there's, it's smooth. It's all yeah. smooth in its own right. Uh, it seems almost unanimous that this record is one of the best all-time hip-hop rap albums, but maybe pushed him above Kanye and above Drake and is yeah. he's kind of the... Per- this is what did it, yeah. Kanye gets talked about more f- for different reasons, but, uh, I mean, it, it, it seems that he, he's kind of the, the one A and everything else. Not that he's, you know, legions ahead or that ranking is even that important, but uh, for, for somebody that's not quite in the spotlight as much as those, at least those two guys. I, I mean, that, that makes me happy for him uh, because it means that he's sort of successfully carried that torch. And he's, he's way more grounded. This is a bit hyperbolic, what I'm about to say, but um, I think Kendrick is simultaneously what Tupac was supposed to be and what Kanye was supposed to be. Oh, wow. Um, oh, supposed how, to, quote unquote, supposed sure, to be. Sure, sure, Um In that, you know, he doesn't get everything right. Like, I mean, he's human. Um, but he's always pushing hip-hop culture forward. But he's also, he's also, all of his albums are pushing a questioning thought process forward. Like, um, it's problematic in the way that he did it. But in this album he released this year. Kendrick? He, yeah, the album he had released this year. He has a track where he's addressing homophobia and transphobia in the hip hop community. Okay. And through his personal journey and um the way that he does it is definitely, you know, he can handle the criticism and is well warranted, but it's also probably as as hyper masculine as some of the cultures that have come out of redlining and institutional racism that built things like like the gutter so to speak and and project issues it's like kind of the only way certain people are going to get it um and it's kind of a bold move for like the biggest rapper on the planet to do that but he every one of his rappers was doing that swimming pools for example uh they picked it out as a hit but it um is really a it's really a song about alcohol abuse oh for and if you listen to it within the context of the album good kid mad city good kid mad city is really kind of like a short film interesting an album and he's unpacking a lot of trauma um from a storytelling perspective and he at this point in time uh he had gotten jumped and so his homies are like getting him lit as a comforting uh, self-medication sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and I, they're like, yo, sorry. You know, it's like, yo, give K-Dot the bottle. He just got drunk. You didn't get jumped. Like, literally in the cutscene right before that, he's like, yo, you'll be all right, bro. Drink this. And then Swimming Pools comes on. Oh, interesting. You know? Interesting. Um, that, I like, I you'd you'd have a lot of fun with that album. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a classic, but... 
Uh, I really liked Institutionalized. Uh, it's just incredible. Um, uh, I, I didn't hang in with hood politics like mm-hmm. I thought I was going to because the keyboard riffs and the guitar licks to start the song. Super wheelhouse for me. I was like, oh, yeah. And then he just walks away from him and, and it's kind of, kind of just a straightforward yeah. rap track yeah. after that. Um, you Ain't Gotta Lie, so smooth. I mean... Uh, and Mortal Man, we talked about. It's the monster closer with uh, uh, the twelve-minute runtime and the, and the conversation. Um, but we're we've kind of gone past the uh, time. Yeah, 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 I noticed. I noticed. Yeah. Um, so um, I, a couple more for you, real quick. The best best place to get to, if someone wants to listen to your music is it your Bandcamp? Um. I would just say uh, Google me. Google you. Because okay. I'm, on, I'm on everything. You pull yeah, up, your, there's a whole thing, you know, full page. At yeah, least. it's Google Kadesh Flow. Um, K A D E S H and then F L O W. Okay. Yeah. Um, and oh, yeah, and same is true if somebody wants to pick their social media platform of choice to follow you for just Google you and find it that way too. Everything's Kadesh Flow. Kadesh Flow, Instagram, yeah. Kadesh Flow, TikTok, even. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so it, with all of these, um, I'm, I know we hardly know each other, but it's really exciting to hear some of those things that you're highlighting as far as your, your path and your trajectory and things happening for you. Uh, t- in 2032, what's, what's it going to look best guess? What's it going to look like? <laughs> I mean, it really depends. I'm so assuming that we're not in some kind of world war or climate crisis yes. negativity. Um, I uh, I expect to be playing a lot less, but playing at a much higher level when I every time I do play. Okay. Um, I expect to be selling out larger venues on my own merit. Um, I expect to be doing a lot more international shows, doing international jazz festivals. I expect to have way more music that's on tele- prominent television and film stuff. Um, I expect to have film scoring credits to my name cool. some of the stuff is in process already by the nice. way nice good for you um, man and uh, I, ex- I expect to be doing all that with a with a family okay, okay. <laughs> but, but um, generally speaking you know um, I I definitely expect to be living abundantly from my art okay and I've ventured out into okay. a few other verticals from this because hip hop is a, is a springboard um, I think Donald Glover, I think it was Donald Glover. He said, "No rapper just wants to rap. Rap is like the gateway into entrepreneurship for a lot of people who come in the hip hop." Lupe for, Fiasco, Lupe, Kendrick, Drake. You know, really, yeah. honestly, everybody at a at a at the big level, you see these people becoming moguls of some sort. At the more local, regional level, you see a lot of rappers, local hero rappers. You know, either. Uh, start storefronts sure. or you know end up because hip hop has such a culture and social justice bend to it you see a lot of a lot of local legend level guys end up you know heading up or being development heads for nonprofits and whatnot right right um so you know it's a pathway i don't ex- i definitely i didn't like i said i didn't leave my fintech trajectory to just be play a local musician right um so there's a lot i expect like 10 years from now i I, you know it's hard to call but i expect a lot of this to be at a way higher level sure um 
Now, let's say, however it happens, but tomorrow morning you wake up and you and every everybody that's part of your family and your fold and your fabric, there's more money than anybody can spend before everybody's long gone. Mm-hmm. How different does your life look? If you, you don't have to worry about money, you don't have to think about an income, everything's taken care of. I mean, is your day-to-day relatively gonna look the same still? From a process perspective, I'd say probably yes. Okay. Um, I I would say the big difference that magically ending up with a boatload of money would make um, is things that I see happening in the next five years become stuff that happens in the next six months to to a year because I have way more to invest in my art and my moves. Um, Because a lot of this, right now the difference between me consistently packing out, say, the ship and me packing out theaters anywhere I go is investment money. Right. Um, or having is funding because overhead for merchandising alone. Um, for you? For, for your merch? Yeah. Uh, I'll, anecdotally, so Mega Rand's been doing this for longer than I have. Um, and you know, we'll do shows together at these conventions and I have a limited inventory relative to him where he's got like this awesome merchandising game and I'll do a few hundred to maybe barely break a grand or so, you know, somewhere around there in merch and he'll do thousands of dollars mm. in merch at like sitting right next to each other. So you're talking like live in person transactions, yeah. not just somebody going to your site and ordering a t-shirt. Yeah. Even though that is part of it, this is just anecdotal. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, just him having more more options, and obviously he's more popular than I am. But the the options um, for people to spend money on things mean that people are going to spend more money on things, right? So, and that's just one little section. That's yeah. just one little yeah. example. So, uh, like merch overhead, uh, channel marketing dollars, um, video AV content, because being able to put together good audiovisual content of projects so I can book a festival with a clear example. And then that's also content, right? So then yeah, that's man. reels, wow. it's TikToks, right? So so, so even if it was like $100,000 or $10,000, you know, that's, you know, that's just faster growth. And I'm doing this because I want to do it. Yeah. You know, this isn't like a, you know, Side I left a, I left a lot of equity on the table. I mean, you know, to to take the leap that I took and and eat dirt for two years before I actually started making money. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine that your undergrad or your grad experiences were free of charge. I, I had a full ride. Oh, for both. Uh, I lo- I I floundered. So my my last year of grad school, I'm in a a lot of debt for. Okay. Um. But but that's part of that is also I mean that was how you got to where you were career wise for mm-hmm. the fintech financial yeah. technology right um, and so like there's a spend whether it's yeah. time energy money etc to get you qualified and then you're in there and you're earning a, a decent living yeah. and that's all of that together is what was left on the table to to go this direction right yeah, yeah. and you know if I'm if I had stayed on that trajectory, I'd be very, very far paid off right now. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, 
undergrad was I had a full academic nice. ride. Nice. Very nice. Well, we need to get get you out of here, but uh, thank you so much for doing this. Um, thanks for saying yes yeah. to a virtual stranger and then sticking to it. Like you could have said yes and then blown me off or set up a time to do it and then bailed for whatever reasons. But here you are and I'm very thankful for it. Um, and uh, I'm excited to uh, see what's next for you. Yeah, thank you, Blair. Thanks, Thanks for Cash. having me. And uh, I I love having conversations like these. I have to be very I have to try to set as many boundaries as possible with them because I actually love talking about stuff like this. And I don't get I don't really get to talk to, about myself a lot or I don't I don't just do it. I don't just like tell people my story. So um so it you know there's a lot of time. I have a lot of long kind of intricate answers for things. So, perfect. So perfect you know. for the guy the guy <laughs> that's choosing to do long form in the shortest attention span in human history. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being here, man. But yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll talk to you.